You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. I'm David Perret, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. I'm Grumpus Maximus, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. This is Military Dollar, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Military Dollar, Grumpus Maximus, and David are active duty military members. The views presented by them in this podcast are their own and do not reflect the views of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, or any military service. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, hey, Doc, we have three guests on today that are going to be talking about a segment of the FIRE movement that has been relatively underrepresented so far on our podcast. So we're going to be asking the question, is the military path to financial independence a boon or a bane? And we have those three guests that are going to jump in real quick and give us a quick introduction, and then we'll peel back the layer of the onion to really dig deep into this conversation. So David, do you mind going first, please? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So my name is David Perret. I'm an active duty Marine, uh, enlisted, have been for about 10 and a half years now. Currently stationed in Hawaii. I am a blogger who got started about a year, year and a half ago when I realized that the phrase, we don't get paid enough is thrown around too much and it's uh, generally just way too self-inflicted. Myself included, I'm very guilty of that. So in my journey to change for myself, I thought I should probably document this and maybe help someone else. And a little known connection between us is we hail from the same city. So you guys can do your research to figure out where that is. Military Dollar, do you mind giving us a quick introduction, please? Yeah. So I'm Military Dollar. I blog at militarydollar.com. You might also find me on Facebook as Airman Mill Dollar because I am an anonymous blogger. I am an Air Force officer. By the time this airs, I will have been in the Air Force for 15 years and like blogging about military financial independence and just general financial independence and I've been on this path since I entered the military, and I'm really enjoying telling people about it. Well, we're certainly looking forward to hearing more. Grumpus, would you mind giving us an introduction before we jump into the conversation, please? No problem. I'm Grumpus Maximus. I also blog anonymously at grumpusmaximus.com. I specifically concentrate on the intersection between financial independence and the use of pensions. To spice it up a bit, I also throw issues about mental health and working environments in there as well. I'm a 19-year active duty military officer, and I will be retiring at the end of this year. So David, I'm going to bounce off of something that Grumpus just said. He mentioned mental health. And so I'm going to ask a difficult question of you here, and I'm going to ask it to everyone in the panel. Can you talk about a time where you were ready to resign your commission? Was there ever a time where things got really bad and you started questioning? Yes. About three weeks into recruit training, I think everyone goes through that, especially so the Marine Corps is a difficult lifestyle per se is a a nice way to say it in a lot of realms. And so there are definitely times in life where you think so maybe getting married is a huge decision point and doesn't really work out for a lot of service members to maintain, you know, they go back home or whatever. I think it's kind of, we joke about it being a cycle where you enlist for four years and then by like year two, you're like, nope, 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 I'm done. And then year three hits, you're like, oh, I can do this again. And it's like this trending I guess, emotional roller coaster. Myself, I'm actually at a point right now where I'm, I'm at 10, 10 and a half years, which is kind of a, most people say, once you're there, you're done, you're going all the way. I'm playing with the idea of uh, 
transferring into the reserves and being able to go back home and settle down a little bit. So that's up in the air. It's not because of some emotional negativity towards the military. It's just other things that are going well in life that I'd like to tend more to. So we'll kind of see where that plays out. But it's uh, definitely a very common recurring theme in the military. It's just a stressful lifestyle. So people kind of go through ups and downs. Grumpus, David mentioned somewhere around 10 years, you kind of start getting the hang of things, but it sounds like you hit a wall somewhere around 14 years. Is, is that a safe thing to say? It is. It was actually at 16 years, which is, was even further in. And I blog about this. And one of the great things about being anonymous is I can do this openly. I had a mental breakdown due to PTS at 16 years in. I had several things earlier in my career happen to include an employment to Afghanistan where I deployed a week after my wife miscarried. And all that emotional trauma caught up to me at year 16 and um, I needed help and I went and sought help. But part of that process, I didn't necessarily become disillusioned with the military. I just didn't know if I could continue. I just didn't know if it would be mentally and physically possible for me to continue But before I made that decision, I went and made all the calculations on exactly what I would be walking away from if I decided to get out before my pension and before all the benefits that a military retiree would get at 20 years. And I ultimately made the decision to stay for better or for worse. And a lot of that was due to all the financial well-being that a potential pension and all those military benefits would provide after I retired after 20 years. Military Dollar, what Grumpus is talking about sounds a lot like the burnout physicians also feel. So I'm a doctor and there's a lot of talk in my community about burnout. Did you ever feel burnout in your career? And if you did, was it this golden handcuffs that Grumpus describes that kept you in? I luckily have not felt burnout. So I also had at my nine-year point my, am I going to stay or am I going to go decision to make. But mine was regarding events in my personal life. So it was some personal relationships changing as well as a death in my family. It kind of made me really question because the person who died, died pretty young. But burnout has not really been as much of a problem for me. I definitely work very long hours, but I have the kind of personality that that is okay. I'm able to handle that a lot better than other people. I'm also single with no children, so I don't have a family waiting for me when I get home, and that makes it a lot easier. So I can spend those long hours at work. That being said, it is tiring. The job that I'm in right now is a leadership position, and I definitely do have people just constantly needing my help. I work long hours and I work very hard during those long hours. So it is very easy to exhaust yourself. Is burnout something you're seeing in your colleagues and the people you're working with? In my particular squadron, it's not so bad. However, there are a lot of my friends who are at the same, approximately the same point in their careers as me, around their 14 to 16 year point, where they're basically done. They are tired. They are burned out. They do not want to do this anymore, but they have all decided to stay in for the same reason as Grumpus. They looked at what the benefits are and what the risk of getting out would be, and they decided to stay in. So they're counting down to 20 years, and they're planning to retire at 20 years in a day. So Grumpus, what she's talking about is this 20-year date. I use the term golden handcuffs, but more aptly, you use the term the golden albatross. Explain what that is and why you use that term. So the golden albatross is a term that me and a friend made up when uh, we realized that golden handcuffs really applies to executives and uh, high-paid managers and things like that, which is typically not what the military pays. I mean, certainly you can make it up to a general or an admiral rank and, and earn that kind of money, but that's not typical. So we needed another term to throw around that encapsulated this idea that we hit this point in our career where we really wanted to transition and do something else, but we felt trapped by those benefits that were provided at that certain point where you earned a pension or you earned all those benefits by working for an organization for as long as you do. So David Grumpus, as he was talking, I saw you smile when he was talking about the pay scale for the military. Is the pay scale for the military high? And if not, how do people earn enough money to really go for financial independence? I was smiling because I'm the enlisted guy in the group. So my pay chart starts a lot closer to, I guess, working class is a polite way of saying things. 
a commissioned lieutenant coming right out of the school, right out of their school, joining the military, will essentially hit their first unit making more than I am right now. It's not much more than I am right now, but it's right around a couple hundred bucks a month of the same amount as I'm currently bringing in after 10 years. Now that was my choice. I joined the enlisted side because I've always kind of been the blue collar, Marine, shoot gun, drive truck, run, run, whatever guy. And that seemed fitting. And at one point I thought about commissioning and and things took a different turn and I'm totally content with that. Now, that being said, no, I don't make a ton of money as an enlisted military member. However, the benefits that we have absolutely afford the opportunity for all avenues of financial independence. In fact, I would argue that some of the guys who are at the lowest level, single dudes living in a barracks might have some of the better opportunities because theoretically with the chow hall and the barracks room where maintenance and rent and everything is totally covered for you. In fact, a lot of them now have free Wi-Fi. You could legitimately live if you chose not to have a car with zero expenses. Like anything that you chose to buy would be, I want a TV. It wouldn't be, I need to buy electricity, pay for it, food, water. I mean, it's, you could legitimately save 80, 90. I mean, if you really want to get crazy, you could probably save hundred percent of your paycheck and still have food, have shelter, no big deal. Now that's not realistic. That's not what we do. We buy Harleys and tattoos, but the money isn't the problem. It's the expenses. And it always is. Military dollar is what David says ring true. Is it the hedonic treadmill just as much a problem in the military community as it is in the community in general? He is not only 100% accurate, coming from the officer side, what's really interesting is we do make significantly more. So it's not unusual for an officer with the same amount of years in to make twice as much money as an enlisted person. And we have the exact same problems in the officer corps. So while the enlisted guys are buying their brand new shiny Harleys, we are buying brand new shiny BMWs. And I see the same problem with all of my friends. So Grumpus, you know, in the financial independence community as a whole, we talk about the gap, right? So there's how much you make and how much you spend. When I look and talk to people about the military, it seems like we spend so much time talking about the pensions and that becomes the main thing people talk about. But when you're in the military, do you also have to work on budgeting and frugality or is the pension the whole story? No, you definitely have to work on budgeting. You have to invoke some amount of frugality throughout your career. Otherwise, you would be spending just as much or more than you make and then going on to the debt and credit cycle like everybody else. So the pension is not going to be enough, typically, unless you discipline yourself and maybe your family early on to live within a certain means. That is true throughout all the financial independence community I will say, though, more than the pension, I think nowadays, and I've addressed this a little bit on my blog, but not nearly in depth as probably it warrants, is the health care. The lifetime of health care, subsidized health care that you would get that far exceeds anything you would get in the civilian world, even after you retire, if you make it to 20, is probably just as important as the pension these days, if not more going forward. Military dollar, does that ring true? Is healthcare the ultimate military hack? I don't know if it's the ultimate hack, but it's definitely very high up there along with education and that pension because I talked to some of my friends and they just do not go to the doctor when they're sick because it would cost them so much money for just going in for a cold. Whereas for me, I don't have any concerns over healthcare. I know that I'm going to go in and I'm going to get taken care of no matter what. It's not only good for my pocketbook, it's good for my mental health, that I do not have to have those same concerns about whether or not I'm going to be seen and how much it's going to affect my long-term financial health, not just my current financial health. David, I have a quick question about that. In the situation where you're considering going into reserves, how does that impact the benefits, especially around healthcare? Well, you can still buy into a portion of the similar healthcare through the reserves, but it's not 100% paid for. So in the last few years, I've had an interesting go at things with uh, unique surgeries and this, that, and the other. It's great. I got LASIK. I got my abdomen or my appendix removed. You know, no big deal. All paid for. You know, actually, as you were saying that, I was thinking, man, I haven't done enough research into how the, if I go through a reserves pension, if the healthcare is still available after the fact. Because I know you have to pay into it while you're in the reserves, but 
I don't know how that plays out once I, cause once I hit the reserves pension kicks in at like 59 and a half minus however many years active duty you did, there's some weird math in there. I haven't actually done that research, which is really critical because the healthcare is something that I have been, that was the hardest part for me in my debate is the healthcare over the actual pension because I can make up the cash flow. Yeah. So I have a little bit of knowledge on this, not a ton because I'm not planning to go into the reserves, but I happen to have just been looking this up for somebody else. And it looks like reserve healthcare, while a little bit more expensive than somebody who retires from the active duty, is still about half what you would pay for equivalent level healthcare if you were not using a reserve TRICARE benefit. So you might be looking at for your family like three or $400 per month, which again, compared to what some people in America are paying is not bad at all. So Grumpus, I want to transition a little bit. We've been talking about benefits. We've been talking about pensions and we've talked a little bit about income. But one of the ways we in the financial independence community get to financial independence quicker is we boost our income. Are there opportunities to boost your income when you're in the military? Can you side hustle? Is that even a possibility? It is a possibility, but you have to check with what the legal policy is. At least in my branch of service, that is command by command policy on how willing they are. Of course, it's guided by DOD guidelines, but there are some things a command would be willing to let someone do as a side hustle, and there are some things they won't. The baseline is that, of course, it cannot interfere with your main job of being in the military. Technically, we're never off duty. We're always active duty if you're not in the reserves. So definitely the command gets to make a decision. For instance, someone at one of the commands I worked at in the past sent up an application or a request to work as a bartender at night at a local club doing some digging. It turned out it was a local strip club. And therefore, the command said no. (laughs) Military dollars, is this something you're seeing? Are you seeing your fellow military people doing side hustles? Yeah, it's very common, especially these days with so many things that you can do from home. Things like driving for Uber or Lyft is very popular. I'm starting to see more people trying to make money from blogging and YouTubing. But when I was a lieutenant and not making as much money as I am right now, a lot of my friends would work at, for instance, Best Buy, or they might serve on the weekends. One that's very popular since, you know, you are in the medical profession is that nurses will often have like a shortened schedule because they'll work 10 to 12 hour shifts, four days a week. And then on their off days, they'll go and work in a local hospital. There's actually a whole separate set of guidance just for nurses and medical professionals to be able to do that. So it is very popular. But like Grumpus said, you do have to be careful. Make sure you're not doing anything that's going to affect your rest hours or your working hours because the military needs to make sure that you're safe and that you're following ethics rules. David, I feel like one of the mother of all side hustles or a business unto itself is real estate. Uh, And that's something you talk a lot about in your blog and podcast. How did you get into real estate? And is that a good path for military members? Essentially, the whole preface of why I got into the blog and YouTube channel, I read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad or Audible, you know, listen to it while driving. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And it kind of changed my mindset. And someone, while I was I was asking questions about how do I do this for real estate? How do I do? And I stumbled upon Bigger Pockets, which is one of the largest online uh, resources that, I mean, if you're in the real estate investing community, you know what Bigger Pockets is. And I got one of their books and listened to it and decided I was going to house hack, which is where instead of living in an apartment, I decided to buy a duplex and I lived in one half and rented the other half. And I stupidly used an FHA loan instead of a VA loan because VA lenders There are VA lenders and VA realtors out there who don't understand the VA loan. In fact, it's a very, very misunderstood resource that I've spent a lot of time trying to learn so that I can begin teaching and and producing content on that awesome resource because I'm paying $81 a month right now in private mortgage insurance above my mortgage payment that I shouldn't be paying that's just cutting into my cash flow right now. And, and this is the real kicker, I put $3,700 down on this $81,000 duplex after closing costs and everything that I also shouldn't have paid. I should have put like absolutely not a single penny into this property and then would not have the extra $80 expense and I was still in the house. But anyway, so house hack, live in one side, rent the other side out to tenants. I didn't want to deal with tenants, so I immediately had a property manager and never even told him I owned the place, which has been awesome because since then I've been able to, even in Hawaii, you can get involved in the local market. 
I've done that. I've been partnered on a house flip out here, but I can still invest in Missouri with technology from out here just fine. I bought a 10 year to the apartment uh, last year, a couple other things here and there. And the great thing is with a solid team and property management involved, and I could go on forever. So this is the last thing I'm going to say on it. I don't pay, it doesn't even like nothing from that side hustle takes any of my time. Last month, those 13 units, I have another big one that does take time. But on those 13 units last month, I spent one hour and that was receiving the email, plugging it into my duck, my bookkeeping, which was the hour that I need to outsource because I get tired of doing that. And I made $1,600, $1,700 in essentially that one hour, which is just awesome. And just real quickly on that, I'm curious, do you have to get approval from your command in order to do any sort of real estate investing or is it considered an investment and you can do it like you would buy stocks? In the financial realm, as long as you're not going to end up having someone hounding you because you're not making payments on things. So that's the one caution I would say with any investment, if you end up too far in the hole, you end up bankrupt, it can cost you security clearance. But I've had no issues and no, nobody bothers me at all about it. Grumpus, I feel like David is a little bit the expert. Are you seeing a lot of people do real estate in the military? For one, I imagine that you can't necessarily control your location, right? You might be moving from time to time. Is this something you're seeing military people pursue? Yeah, I I see a lot of people do it. It is funny how different the outcomes can be, though. I personally am a reluctant military landlord. I bought in Southern California right before the height of the housing market and ended up having to own and rent that out every single time we moved away from Southern California due to military moves. And we have literally lived all over the world and been renting out that place. Only here recently have we come to sell it and we really haven't made any money on it when you figure in inflation and stuff like that. So except for maybe some weird tax benefits My story personally has been a lot different than David's. I will say this, I have at my command I'm at right now even seen it play out worse. I saw an officer who was more senior than I was uh, had heeded the advice he got when he first joined the military to buy a house at every PCS location you go to. And that came back bite him because, of course, that builds up a need to keep rent money coming in. And one of his houses in that ladder, of course, didn't pay the rent for a certain amount of time. And the whole house of cards came tumbling down and his security clearance, as David mentioned, was on the line when I was asked to step in and help him out. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? It was one of my favorite budgeting apps, but here's the problem. Mint is disappearing. Now we all are stuck with the question, how will we manage our budget and finances now? Well, I discovered Monarch Money, and I have to tell you, I found it simple, enjoyable, and made for users like me. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. There's so many great things about Monarch. One is it's intuitive. When I signed up, I went to the website, and within minutes... I had had all my accounts downloaded. I connected to all my banks. It is collaborative. It's not only made for people like me, but for people like me to then share it with my spouse or my financial advisor or what have you. And Monarch is so customer focused that they're always looking for ways to improve and make their product serve us better. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. This episode of Earn and Invest is sponsored by BetterHelp. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash earn and get on your way to being your best self. Listen. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right, but sometimes the best ones happen when both people put in the work to make them great, and therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships. I know because when I went to BetterHelp, one of the relationships I wanted help with was that with my father. You see, my father died when I was seven years old, and I had a lot of unresolved issues. 
My therapist at BetterHelp was actually really good at helping me talk about those issues and start to find answers that normally I would have tried to find with my father, but since he was no longer around, I had to find them on my own, and having a therapist was incredibly impactful in that journey. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com earn today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot earn. I'm really glad you mentioned that, Grumpus, because that's part of my business is being a real estate investor and I buy houses from people who are in difficult spots and they need to sell quickly. And it is not uncommon that a good source of my deal flow comes from military folks in the Air Force Base near here where I live and they've done exactly what you just described and they're in a pinch and they need to sell quickly and I try and help them get out of that situation. So if you're listening to this and you're in the military, be very cautious. Listen to the advice that David and others like David give on how how to do that. But there are also quite advantages to using the VA loan. The buy a house at every duty station is probably for me. And if you know, Rich Carey, which is another mm-hmm. military real estate guy. I mean, it's a great concept, right? If you buy when the market's down at every location and you have no idea if that's the case until after the fact. And so that's why I have a, probably too many posts for uh, search engine optimization about buying versus renting. And the biggest thing that I would say is it's market dependent. Absolutely. That's why I didn't end up buying in Hawaii amongst other things. That's why I didn't buy, I won't buy in San Diego because the market just right now, I'm just not, I can't guarantee it's going to go up and the risk of it, what happens if it goes down is too much. So I advocate more for, you know, buying an investment than a house and treat every house you buy as an investment, not as a primary residence. And then if you have to invest long distance, you know, that's why all my properties for buy and hold are in Missouri, even though I don't live there. So anyway, I only say that as a cautionary because I don't want, I want it to be known that I don't advocate buy everywhere because I see that way too often. It's so unfortunate. Military Dollar, have you delved into real estate? I have. I have one rental right now. I also have a house that I bought to live in and I had intended to turn that into a rental, but I ended up selling it because it had appreciated so much. And I said, let's just take that money and run. Basically, I'm considering right now whether or not I want to sell the rental that I have right now because I currently have had a fantastic tenant. He's in the military with me. He's actually a former student of mine and he has taken such good care of the house, but the tenant before him was not as wonderful and I do not love being a landlord. I did not know all the rules that you should follow, like the 1% rule for buying an investment property before I bought that. So while it has been profitable, it's not very profitable. It's not nearly as profitable as it would have been if I had followed those kind of rules. So I am absolutely with David and with Rich and with Grumpus. I see so many people in the military that say, you know, any house is a good house to buy because they're paying down your mortgage. Well, you know, if you're like me and you are a lieutenant colonel who has a lot of slack in their budget, then you can maybe absorb a three or $500 loss every month on a rental home. But if you are an E3 making, you know, $2,000 a month, you do not have that room in your budget. So I'm really glad that David's out there spreading that word that it's not always a good idea. You still have to do your due diligence. Grumpus, the last five minutes of conversation, I could almost forget that we're talking to a military panel here. But then when we go back to things like the pension, I realize how unique some of your guys' struggles are. What is the connection between the military financial independence community and then the financial independence community as a whole? Are they one and the same? Are they two distinct communities? I think the military financial independence community is could be viewed best as a subset of the financial independence community as a whole. That would be my opinion. Why I say that is because you see lots of various subsets uh, within the financial independence community. For instance, you know, my blog is not exclusive to military members. It is dedicated to anybody who earns a pension. That is a very niche part of the financial independence community, but it does span out from being just the military. So if someone were to create a Venn diagram, I would see the circle of military financial independence inside the big bubble that is financial independence as a whole. David, of the three blogs and podcasts and information that I've listened to on all three of you, I found that a lot of your material is crossover. 
and not necessarily military specific. Do you think a huge portion of your listeners and readers are military people or do you think it crosses over to especially the real estate population in general? I think it's a little bit of both. There is a larger military following. I can say that just by looking at the demographics of age and gender and all that and I can pretty well articulate but there's definitely a crossover with the real estate investing community and and really just I mean budgeting, income expenses, all that stuff. The real benefit for the military I wouldn't say that we're different. I like the subset word. That's a good choice. I think there's just some additional benefits that we have that add on to, so the VA loan, the medical, which is awesome, you know, being able to move around, getting paid to move around, cost of living allowance if you live somewhere expensive, housing allowances, and then one that we haven't breached yet that we'll probably end up talking about the thrift savings plan or our 401ks. There's a lot of unique opportunities that we're afforded that other people aren't. So I think it's all applicable. We just have deviations. Military Dollar, as I listen to David talk about these unique opportunities, part of me thinks, wow, you're in the military, you have all these benefits. How great is that? And then another part of me says, oh my God, I think it'd be really hard to understand all the different options available and how to actually take advantage of them correctly. Do you feel lucky that you're in the military and all this is offered to you? Or is this just another thing you have to work through? I mean, I definitely feel lucky. I love my military career. All of those benefits that are available are just the icing on the cake to me. But it's definitely difficult to figure out sometimes. So something that I've started on my blog is I'm calling it the ever-growing guide to military money, I think is the official name, because there's just a constant list of things that I'm discovering that even I didn't know at 15 years that it exists. So for instance, our joint travel regulations that you know define how they're going to pay us for travel and where we can travel and how much we can spend and all those things, it's like 900 pages. So I could write for a year every single day on something in the joint travel regulations and I wouldn't get through everything. And that's just a tiny subset of military money. So there's so much out there. Because there is so much out there, it can be a little bit difficult to find good information, which is, of course, why David and Grumpus and I and the others are doing what we do. But these things are, can be very beneficial. So David brought up a lot of the things that we have available to us. So if somebody wants, they can take advantage of all those benefits and it can be a great thing for them. Grumpus, talk about all that information that's available. Uh, how did you find it and how does your average military person get all this information in one concise place? Well, I don't think there is a one concise place, unfortunately. There are many methods by which a military person can find out this information, starting locally at their own command. There's usually some sort of command-appointed financial specialist. That is typically a collateral duty and not a primary duty. However, depending on the person that's filling that spot, that might be the best one-stop shop to get started if you're brand new to this issue. There are numerous financial talks and classes that are run through the military family centers and the military readiness centers that, depending on what service you're in, they each have a little bit different name, but they all essentially do the same thing. Because obviously the military has some vested interest to make sure that their sailors, soldiers, airmen, and Marines are all being wise with their money as much as possible. And to also help educate family members on all the benefits and stuff like that that are out there who may not have any experience in their previous personal lives with dealing with all the benefits that the military affords. That said, I'm the perfect example of finding out a lot of that information too late in my career to even put it to use. In fact, I never even invested in the TSP. That is one of my major mistakes that I've written about. And um, certainly had I known now, or had I known then what I know now, I would have made that choice differently. So you mentioned the TSP. And for those who don't already understand that, Military Dollar, would you mind explaining what that is for our audience? Sure. So TSP stands for the Thrift Savings Plan. This is the federal government's version of a 401k. It mostly works exactly the same as a 401k. There's a few slight changes, especially for military members in a deployed location. But for the most part, you can think of it the same way. We have both a traditional side and a Roth side. So especially for military members where their tax 
burden is very low because of the way that we have allowances versus pay and allowances aren't taxed. Roth can be very beneficial to a lot of those folks, especially early in their career. And we have very limited investment choices in the TSP, which bothers a lot of people, but I actually really like because they're all good choices and people don't get stuck with you know, analysis paralysis of, I don't know what to invest in. There's a list of 42 different index funds and they all have like a 1% to 2% expense ratio. We don't have any of that. Our expense ratio is peanuts. I think in 2018, they worked it out to 0.033%, I believe is what it was in 2018. And it's just five index funds. Three of them are stock index funds. One is a bond and one is for government securities. So very easy. So David, every time I have this kind of conversation, Doug Nordman's name comes up and I feel like a lot of us heard about or learned about these things through him or now through one of you three. If you are new to the military, are you going to the establishment? Are you going to the military itself to learn about these things? Or does it make just much more sense to go to one of your guys' blogs or look up Doug Nordman? Well, it never hurts to do anything related to researching from Doug. That man is just a wealth of knowledge. I'm actually a command financial specialist. So Grumpus mentioned that earlier. And I will say that there's good ones, there's bad ones, like everything out there. Uh, there are some that are involved, there are some that are not. A good financial advisor or command financial specialist will try to, at least once a month, wrap in all the new joins and also invite everyone else and try to walk through some of these benefits, especially just hammering on things like opportunity cost why you should not leave all your money in the G fund, the government backed like I did when the market's appreciating at 25%. I did the math. I'm short like almost $30,000 in my retirement account because I left it in the one that never loses money, but also only gets one or 2% return when the rest of the market is, you know, this was like, I kid you not, I joined in 08. So this is 2009, 10, 11, 12, and I'm earning 1% interest while the rest of the world is, you know, I mean, there was a year it hit like 30% interest if I had the allocation that I do right now. So I would have a lot more money in there had I been smart about it early. But the military, so the, the thrift savings plan, the military at, at boot camp for the Marine Corps, and I think it's the same for every branch. You're taught about it. You're allowed to opt in. They walk you through it. They tell you why it's great. It's wonderful. Problem is for continuing education, it's probably good to, you need to go do your own homework. Now, Luckily, the military finally transitioned with the new retirement system. They are no longer starting your fund in the G fund. It starts in a life cycle fund, which is amazing because that fund, it's actually managed. So the G fund, your money just sits in the G fund. I mean, it's managed, but it sits in that fund and it earns the one or two, maybe 3% return for eternity. But the life cycle fund is managed to where it starts off risky with a lot of growth potential. And as you age, it becomes more, more G fund uh, heavy and you can stay in that fund and set it and forget it as I always steal the catchphrase and just never touch your TSP again and just dump your money into it. And I would tell you, I did it this year, but if you're a new guy, if you don't invest 5%, you're missing out on free money from the government because the military now matches up to 5%. And I would just say every time you get that one or 2% pay raise at the beginning of the year, up your TSP by a percentage and just max that thing out as much as you can we're allowed to put $19,000 in it every year, which is, uh, I believe that's what, almost three times more than traditional. And then if we're deployed, it's, I'm going to mess this number up, but I think it's like 56,000 that you're uh, allowed to put in every year. Uh, and granted, you're hopefully not deployed every year, but that's huge. And if you can be smart and do that while you're, I mean, you think about me and enlisted guy, no college, I joined at 18. If I had put in and I deployed in 2010, so had I put in, I mean, I probably would have only put 20000 in while deployed, but I mean, I could have put fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 in my first four years into this thrift savings plan. And I legitimately could just never put money in there again. And it would be enough to retire on 40 years from now. I didn't do that. So I'm at like 22% if you count the match going in there right now, trying to catch up to at least an amount where I feel good enough to pull that and then start investing with it in real estate. TSP is so underutilized and misunderstood and it is an awesome opportunity to let your financial idiocy of being young, like this guy, not mess up your future if you just set it and then never, like just throw your password away and just forget about it. One thing I wanted to mention is that the TSP is not unique just to the military, if I understand correctly. It also applies to government employees as well. So even if you're not in the military, you, the same benefits apply if my research bears out. Is that, and I, I, everybody's nodding. So I think I'm accurate when saying that. So it's definitely something worth looking into. 
So Grumpus, I want to move from details to more of the thousand foot view. You've been very open about mental health issues in the military. I imagine people come to you 10 years in, 15 years in and ask, should I quit? And I imagine that's a big economic question. Is that something you're talking to people a lot about? Yes, it is something that is, was and continues to be one of the main driving factors of why I'm blogging and writing a book and everything else is to help people make that decision in order to make a more well-informed decision than what I had to go through. But yes, I work in a branch of the military in a subset of that branch that has quite a few people who suffer from PTS and other things because of all the deployments and all the combat and things like that. Fortunately, I am I'm way on the lower end of that scale, but there are some people that are truly just not functional that, you know, are sticking around solely for that pension and those benefits. And they may not even realize there's something like the the medical board you could go to and then be retired medically. So I see it all. I try and talk about it openly. Since I am in something of a leadership position, I think it's something that needs to be talked about more. If you look at the, um, the reports and the statistics about what the VA is going to be dealing with in a decade from now, just in the mental health field alone, because of the fact that this country has been at war for the longest in its history, the fact of the matter is uh, this issue isn't going away. And, and I'll be honest, like I made a decision to stay in. I don't think that was in my best medical interest whatsoever. My best medical interest was I should have gotten out, but I chose to stay in knowing I was going to risk, run the risk of further damage, uh, trauma, whatever you want to call it, because of that pension. So are you seeing in some of the people that you're counseling that they are deciding to leave and forego the pension or at least forego the full pension benefits? Yes. You know, that is an individual decision. I don't try and tip people one way or the other, but at the same time, you have to make the best choice for yourself, for your family, uh, if you have one. And again, everybody's different. Everybody's experience is different. I just try to give people the decision-making tools, give them a process, which can help them make a structured, well-informed decision as opposed to coming down on one side or the other on that decision. Military Dollar, how do you know when it's time to leave the military? Regardless of whether you're before 20 years or after, how do you know when it's the right time? Well, Doug Nordman likes to say it's when it stops being fun, and you will know exactly when it stops being fun. And I very much believe that. So I will say, you know, back when I was at my nine-year point and I was considering getting out, it wasn't that the job had changed, and that's what kept me in, is that I was still having a lot of fun at work. There are plenty of people who just are not happy in their jobs and doing it just for the money. And to those people, I would say, money is renewable. You can get more money. You can go and do a job on the outside where you're making a lot more money. You could go and take your military time and go work for the federal government. And you can do what's called buying back your time, where you get to convert the amount of time you've been in the military into years towards a federal government civilian pension. So that's an option. If you are, you know, so tied to having that pension, well, there's some options there too. And there's a lot of people employed by the federal government that are not in the military. So there are plenty of options out there. But if you are just miserable, I can't imagine amount of money that would make me willing to stay in a job I hated for 20 years. Yeah, I'll say like that's where Doug Nordman has done such a great job within the community is he has written so many pieces about the various paths of transition you could enact if you're one of those people that are miserable and and decide it's time to get out. David, you're a real estate maven now. Have you already set a course for when you leave the military? I have October of 2021 is the end of this current contract. So barring any changes, which absolutely open-minded, it very well could change for me. Barring any changes though, that'll, that'll be the transition. So depending on how much they call it terminal leave where you can leave paid absence a couple you know, weeks, months early to start your new life. And there's other things like that. Mine is less of a falling out of love with the military. And that is a very common thing. And it's definitely, there are days, but mine is more of a, 
a great gentleman named David Green, when I was talking to him about how he knew when it was time to quit police force, he said, when the police force got in the way of me making deals. And I'm not saying that the military is getting in the way, but there have been some opportunities that are not necessarily better than the military, but would afford a much more flexible lifestyle where I can essentially do whatever I want, not necessarily, but uh, you know, control my own schedule, control my own lifestyle. And with a family now, which is a fairly recent addition over the last three, four years, things are just changing. There was a point in my career where I was always the guy whose hand went up in the formation when there was an opportunity to go anywhere. It didn't matter. Like who wants to go drive down this road that's covered in bombs? Ooh, ooh, you know, whatever. And that, that's just not my number one priority. Not to say that I would, I'm not still 100% an adrenaline junkie. I would jump on a deployment in a heartbeat, but it's not an, a unanimous decision in my head anymore. So I think I'm just kind of at a point where there's some other things that sound just as fun and just as exciting that I can do sitting on a farm back home with my kids. Grumpus, you're getting towards the 20 year point, you're getting towards retirement. Any fear that you'll have trouble adjusting to the civilian life? Yes, it is a big fear of mine. And it's a very common fear from what I understand for a lot of transitioning military members. I just did a great two day course run by a benevolent foundation that is dedicated to nothing but helping military members transition successfully, no matter what that transition plan is. And it is an issue, right? So I think we were talking before the show that for the last several years, I've had this transition plan in place, ready to execute when I hit my 20-year marker, whenever I decided to retire after the pension. And that has recently changed. We're now looking at um, moving to New Zealand. And so that, that becomes a different type of stress than just worrying about a successful transition to a job in the U.S. You know, you got to throw in all those other factors. I'm probably not alone in the military at wanting or having enjoyed their overseas experience so much that the idea of living overseas becomes a real draw for one of the reasons why they want to get out. So yeah, it is a concern. So I'd like to switch the conversation a little bit and talk about the draw that you're talking about. So we've been talking about the idea of transitioning out and retiring early. Now I'd like to ask David, who used to be a recruiter, or maybe even still is a recruiter, what is the draw for being a part of the military? And so answer this in the context of me as a civilian or somebody who's listening to this. I'm not in the military. I will not be in the military at this point. I don't have family in the military, and I don't really have any close friends in the military. So sometimes you wonder why these conversations might be relevant to me. But I do have children, and they may consider joining the military someday. And my decision to not join the military when I was 18 years old was based on a lot of misinformation, I'm sure. It was not something I even really considered. And it's not because I don't think I should have. I just didn't know what to think about. When you're 18 to 22 years old, how do you make that decision? And what is your advice to those who are having to go through that? Absolutely different for everyone. Well, as a recruiter, the Marine Corps uses what we call benefit tags. And it's 11 traits that we use as interview. So I would lay them out on the table and say, hey, pick your top three most important to you and then go through that. And that way I kind of know what to talk about because there's just so much. Otherwise, I'd be in there for 24 hours with someone who'd be like, meh, go to college. I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to go to sleep. I think for me, so the whole patriotism thing, the phrase is feeling like you're making a difference, feeling like you're a part of something greater than yourself. Those are all big things. So one of the reasons a lot of veterans do have trouble transitioning is because they go from having this massive sense of purpose to now what, which is kind of why I started an online presence was trying to build a purpose for myself outside. That being said, having a purpose. So like for me, my, probably my fondest memory on in the Marine Corps is my time being deployed because you have this absolute sense of purpose and everything you do is for a reason. There's a huge purpose. Everyone's like cheering you on. You know, it is not an easy thing. It is not a glamorous thing at all but there's a sense of purpose and camaraderie and stuff that comes with it. So that emotionally is there, but on a more tangible level, paying benefits is great to travel. I mean, I saw 13 countries probably in the first four years I was in. I lived in Japan for two years. I've been Germany, Thailand, Korea, Afghanistan, Kyrgyzstan, Philippines, stopped in Guam, Germany. I think I said that, you know, whatever. Canada, I actually, I was going to say this to Grumpus afterwards, but I have a buddy who was on security forces, the embassy guard for the Marine Corps, who got stationed in New Zealand for a year, met a girl, got out of the military, has lived there ever since. 
it's a very common thing. And there's so many opportunities for the travel, the adventure, I think is what draws a lot of us gentlemen in because it's like, especially from the Midwest, it's like, I'm leaving this small town and I'm going somewhere to do something. And there's so many reasons. But for me, it was the, the travel, the adventure, the sense of purpose and uh, like confidence and just getting my feet under me. Military Dollar, I'd ask the same question for you. And I don't think you were or are a recruiter, but I'm sure you talked to a lot of people about going through this decision. What is your thought process? Yeah. So for me, my life, even long before I got into the military, service has been very important to me. So for me, a lot of it is that patriotism and wanting to give back to my country. But there are ways that I could do that after I get out of the military. And there are plans I have for that that will help make that transition easier. But specifically why the military? My answer would be, when I get out of the military, or had I never joined the military, I never would have flown in an F-16, and I have done that. I never would have ridden an aircraft carrier through the Straits of Hormuz and watched pirates off the bow, and I have done that. I would have never fired a minigun out of an H-860, and I have had the opportunity to do that. So there are some specific things. You can travel for other jobs. You can serve for other jobs. You can't do those things in other jobs. So I work in a career field that has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with my college degree. And it's really cool. I get to learn things that, well, because of classification, you guys will never know. Even if you have the classification, it's a, you know, it's a very specific subset of military work that I just never would have been exposed to had I done any other job. So that's really cool. There are unique opportunities in the military you simply cannot get anywhere else. Wonderful. Grumpus, what got you into the military? Is that something that you talk about much? I talk about it a little. I always wanted to be in the military from the age of six. Literally had multiple recruiters in my living room as I was graduating from high school. But that was in the mid-90s and, um, or I'm sorry, that was in the early 90s post-Cold War. And so the military was cutting back. I actually had my enlistment slot taken by somebody else and there wasn't another slot available for six months. Uh, So I decided to then go to college and then I would try the officer route after college. And that's, that's eventually what I ended up doing. But yes, I always wanted to be in the military. I, again, the idea of giving something back to my country feeling like I had won the lottery in life, uh, being born in the United States and therefore wanting to give back was always what drove me. But of course, as David points out, you hit these certain points throughout your career where your priorities change. It was funny. I was joking with a uh, workmate the other day. I hit, I think, year 12 of my military career, and I had achieved many of the major reasons I joined the military. I had led people. I had uh, been in combat situations and kept my head on. I had done so many things, kind of like what Airman Milldollar said, all these wonderful and extraordinary experiences. I met my wife. She's a foreigner overseas. I wouldn't have met her had I not, you know, been stationed overseas. So all these extraordinary experiences. However, at some point, you're like, oh, I racked up everything I wanted to do. But if I was pitching to somebody that was 18 to 22 years old, I would tell them, hey, it's, you don't have to join for life. You can join for four years. You can join for you know, however long you want to serve. And nowadays, it's even the system set up better from a financial standpoint to take some of those benefits with you when you transition. You certainly don't have to join and, and make a 20-year decision right off the bat. You can try it and see if you like it. So that's what I would say to somebody that's young and thinking about the military. Yeah, I just wanted to bring up, none of the three of you brought up financial independence when you were talking about this pitch. You brought up all the right and good reasons, but it's notable that financial independence, this is a viable pathway if you so choose to go into the military for all of these great reasons that you guys suggested. I also, on that, we forgot like, the number one thing that is a huge financial that I just have to say that the GI Bill, and that's like, I can't believe I didn't even mention that because that's a huge thing, especially with student loans these days and how colleges are becoming more of a consumer driven than, I don't want to say than teacher driven per se or academic driven, but I mean, it's becoming astronomical to go to school. And so the idea that you could go in the military for four years and then go to school for free. So if I transition out right now, I'm going to end up, and it's different by your housing allowance, but I'm going to end up pulling in two or $3,000 a month to be a student. And I could go to school 
Tuesday, Thursday, and I can't even make this up. I'm going to go get my pilot's license because I don't actually care about getting a degree in anything different. Flying airplanes sounds fun. So I'm going to go get my pilot's license and it's going to be like $2,800 a month that the military pays me to go to school Tuesday, Thursday to get my pilot's license, which is like, why not? So... Yeah. So to the point about we didn't mention financial independence, I will say I have written about that and how joining the military can help you with that path. But while I will allow that somebody, depending on their life circumstances, should maybe join the military to get out of a bad financial situation, I do not think anybody should go beyond their first commitment purely for the money because military life is difficult. We work long hours. We don't get to necessarily live where we want. We don't get to do what we want. We have to follow, in addition to all the civilian laws, we have to follow a whole separate grouping of laws. So there are a lot of restrictions on what we can do. So I don't think any amount of money is worth that. But if somebody does love the military, then the financial aspects absolutely can help you get to financial independence much quicker than somebody who is being paid the same amount and doesn't have those other things available to them. So yes, the GI Bill, I have the same plan that David just talked about when I get out of the military. I'm thinking I might go live in DC and maybe go to some university in the DC area just because I really liked living in DC. And if they're going to pay me to live there, I might as well get paid more to live there. And I'm going to get a degree in whatever I want. I might take photography or cooking classes or I actually have, I was a pilot in the civilian world. Uh, so I already had my pilot certificate, but I haven't flown in a long time. So maybe I'll go and get some more pilot hours the way that David is thinking about. There's just a ton of options available. So yes, the money is great, but it is not the reason to be in the military. Well, wonderful. I would like to thank all of you guys for your contribution to our and service to our country and all the people who are also in the military and have, have served in the past. We appreciate it immensely. So I'd like to give each of you a chance to let us know what is up next with you in your life and where can we find you? Let's start with David. All right. So I am, I didn't even mention this at the beginning, but I blog at frommilitarytomillionaire.com. I also host the Military Millionaire podcast, which I need to get you guys on. So I'm going to plug that. But I'm all about the finances. So anywhere on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, from military to millionaire, you'll find me. I'm finally starting to rank enough that you'll find me. Well, it's good to hear that. Great. A military dollar, same to you. What is up next for you and where can we find you? Well, you can find me on my blog at militarydollar.com or on Facebook. Like I said, I'm Airman Mill Dollar. I've got a Facebook group there called the Military Dollar Community. On Twitter, I'm military underscore dollar. And if you want to come on Twitter and talk about food, we do that a lot. And then what's up next for me is just, uh, you know, for the blog, I'm trying to look actually more at how I can tie military doctrine into financial planning to provide people a nice structure for how they can arrange their finances. And then in life, I am right now looking at what my next job is going to be. So wish me luck on that. Best wishes for sure. Grumpus, where can we find you and what is up next for you? You can find me at grumpusmaximus.com. That's my blog. Yeah, or you can just search for the golden albatross. I think I rank high enough now in SEO that that will bring up me first, as opposed to some uh, urban dictionary term that is uh, not quite as appropriate <laughs> for family ears as this podcast is. I am also working on a book. It will probably be entitled The Golden Albatross. It is all about the decision to stay or go from a pensionable career and and how giving you some uh, structure and method for making that decision. The book itself is already being edited, so I'm hoping that it will be out by this summer. Whether I self-publish or go with one of the financial independence-based uh, publishing groups remains to be seen. So, And then finally, I retire here at the end of this year and um, am potentially looking for an international adventure with the family of retiring overseas in New Zealand. So you can probably see me blogging about that in future iterations of posts. This has been the What's Up Next podcast on behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson. We wanted to thank David from Military to Millionaire, Grumpus Maximus, and Military Dollar. If you would like to get updates on what Doc and I are thinking up next, you can text the word NEXT to 345-345 so you can get notified of free giveaways, 
opportunities to engage with the What's Up Next podcast and maybe even be a guest on the podcast. We're adding consistent content to our Facebook group and you can get access by texting the word next to the number 345345. That's a wrap. Sorry for... Some extra rambling in there. <clears throat> well, we, we always expect that from you, David. It's okay. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a struggle when I host a podcast to well, like remember I need to shut up. Yeah. Well, I pushed the wrong button and then coughed into the microphone. So I'm still a, a newbie too. Yeah. I was about to say, you did, he did like two or three really good coughs in the microphone. <laughs> yeah. So, but military dollar just rolled with it like it wasn't even there. It's, it's all that military training. Yeah. That's exactly it. <laughs> I was about to say, you, you paused and repeated yourself, which was yeah. perfect for editing. I mean, that's yeah. like, that's perfect. He got it. First try. And they say Marines can't do anything. (laughs) The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate background, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambi Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.